I thank my God every time I remember you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You can have a seat. There is something that I have been wanting to do for a while now. It's a bit pricey, so it's not going to happen anytime in the near future. But I've talked with a friend who is also interested, and maybe down the road we'll be able to make it happen. I want to go on a Golden Girls cruise. (laughs) That's right, friends. Six days at sea with devoted fans of the classic 80s and 90s sitcom, The Golden Girls. Dance parties, trivia nights, costume contests, all with people who are ready to shout at the top of their lungs, thank you for being a friend. It is incredibly silly, and yet it sounds like a ton of fun. It sounds a little like how I've heard some of you describe going to BTS concerts. There is this instant community. You share what you have and are for one another as you gather to celebrate their music and celebrate them themselves. Sports teams are, of course, known for engendering this kind of fellowship. Our passage from Philippians speaks to this kind of kindred spirit, this kind of effusive joy in community. Within these first eight verses, there are eight times where Paul uses a sweeping word like all. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy. In the Greek, most of this passage is just one long sentence. We are caught up with Paul's breathless exuberance. He reminds me a bit of Buddy the Elf from the movie Elf, a character who completely embodies and fully expresses the joy he's feeling. At one point, a buddy spins around and around and shouts, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. And Philippians is, in both heart and literary form, this letter of friendship. More than the bond of mere mutual interest, those shared bonds of fandom, these are friends who are born of a shared and costly allegiance to Jesus. This is gospel friendship. This morning, we'll explore for ourselves, first, the delight of gospel friendship and the desire of gospel friendship. Let's look at the delight of gospel friendship first. Paul had already known this community in Philippi for about 10 years at the writing of this letter. He first visited this church 10 years prior, and it's chronicled in Acts 16. At that time, the makeup of Philippi was such that it had been recolonized by Rome, and they strategically moved their retired soldiers to Philippi to keep it as an outpost of Roman loyalty. So when some men were upset with Paul for disrupting their income, they wanted them to pay for it. Rather than saying that their beef was about money, they brought Paul and Timothy to the authorities and said they were advocating for things that were anti-Roman. That was the button to push. And apparently it was a trigger. The crowd goes nuts. The magistrates have them horribly beaten and thrown in jail. You may remember the story from here that there was an earthquake and the jailer, thinking everyone had escaped, drew out a sword to take his own life. But Paul shouted, 
Don't harm yourself. We are all here. In this moment, Paul didn't regard him as the enemy, as just another cog in a deeply unjust system perpetrating injustice. He regarded him as someone worth saving, someone with value. This confoundingly good act, this care expressed by Paul, shook the jailer worse than the earthquake and compelled him to ask what he needed to do to be saved. Paul told him about Jesus, called him to a new allegiance. And after the jailer and his family were baptized, we read that he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. I want you to let that scene flash through your mind as we hear Paul saying, now years later, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. There is power in seeing and relating to others the way Paul related to the Philippians. If Paul were to show us an Instagram picture of how he saw his friends, it's one that has a filter of shared grace. And it's not the one that takes away your wrinkles, just to be clear. It's a real and favorable lens. And in the background, behind the faces of his friends in that picture, we would see the approach of Jesus' return and the consummation of the kingdom. Paul consistently refers to the day of the Lord. And if shared grace and gospel partnership is the light that illuminates the faces of the Philippians, the day of the Lord is the dawn at their backs. It's a delightful image indeed. But it's not always easy to see one another this way, is it? A couple of you heard me talk about the Golden Girls and thought, fun, I would give that maybe two to three of you in this room felt that way. But a number of you might have felt and thought at that moment, I'm not so sure we like the same things. And that's not wrong. That is okay. We are all of us different, and that is to our collective advantage. But when we're used to building relationships and friendships based on first ease of shared likes, we are often at a disadvantage in filtering each other in grace, in lighting of the day of Jesus. We're much more prone to filter through the lens of brokenness against the backdrop of the busyness of our own lives. With the filter of brokenness, we are tempted to see others dulled rather than illuminated by difference. When there is no obvious sameness, we seek out a conversation partner who is more easily enjoyable. Or maybe the filter of brokenness reflects how we feel about ourselves, that we are concerned that we are too different, too broken to connect with. The filter of brokenness can also make us dismissive of one another. We may see the person in prison, a person in a disparaged social or political location, and are tempted to disregard their perspective. Or maybe we see the jailer in an unjust system and think, I don't have to care what you think. You're a jailer. 
Add that to the backdrop of our busy lives, and the joy that comes in gospel friendship can feel a bit out of reach. Yes, it'd be nice to get to know that person, but I have about 30 emails and six loads of laundry asking for my attention. And I'm just now realizing I forgot to put in a grocery order. We might think gospel friendship sounds delightful, but honestly, we might not be sure that we have the time or the energy for delight, much less to risk it with people we don't naturally connect with. Our present circumstances can block out the larger light of shared grace and the larger story of Jesus' reign. So if that's where we find ourselves, with a smaller purview, with a filter that darkens and dulls, how might we partake of the lens that Paul has here? There is a powerful phrase in our passage that clues us in to how we might have our vision corrected, how we might get a step closer to the delight of gospel friendship, the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul made God his witness for how he longed for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. In our gospel reading today, we got to hear some of that affection that Jesus has for his disciples. The risen Jesus calls to the seven fishermen from shore, friends, haven't you caught any fish? He then proceeds to give them a very Jesus-y instruction to try the other side of the boat with astonishingly positive results. Jesus then prepares a fire, puts some fish on it, and we read, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. In Eastertide, in these 50 days risen, and yet before he ascended, Jesus made and ate breakfast with his friends. That is the affection of Jesus. There's no major teaching or instruction or do this now. Come, friends, and have breakfast. When Jesus first called the 12, when he first set them apart, the task listed at top of the list was to be with him. Here at this breakfast, we see that the primary objective, that call to intimacy, to be present to the affection of Jesus still stands. Yes, we want to be faithful to the work God has for us to do. Our jobs, our chores, our schedules, our responsibilities, those matter. But it's hard to be faithful, to follow the Spirit who empowers and enlivens our work if we are not also present to the friendship of God. As we partake in the abundance of affection Jesus has for us, the scarcity that filters out light dissolves. And we're given eyes to see one another in grace against a truer and fuller backdrop. How might you receive the affection of Jesus today? Sometimes it comes to us and comes alive for us by the Spirit through worship, communion, prayer, through the scriptures. And sometimes the affection of Jesus meets us by the Spirit in his people. It may well be that today as we pass the peace, 
we meet the affection of Jesus in the eyes of the gospel friend who is glad to see us. The Lord has a disposition of affection toward you. How might he be revealing it this morning? We've spoken of the delight of gospel friendship. Let us consider the desire of gospel friendship. What does gospel friendship desire? What does it want? Paul shares what he wants for his friends, not just what he wants for them in his head, but what he prays, what he talks to God about on their behalf. We read, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I think the last thing I prayed for a friend was, Lord, help them with that difficult client. It's not a bad prayer. Anytime we are praying for our friends, it is a good thing. And I would say we have something to glean from Paul's prayer. It's easy to get in the habit of praying one half of shalom for our friends. We pray away the bad. We ask for God to intervene and save. We might pray for discernment, but it's often only in the context of someone expressing that they are flummoxed and don't know what to do. We might pray for love, but it's when they've confessed their unlove of another. When it comes to praying beyond the absence of bad, when it comes to praying for the presence of good for others, we often hesitate. We don't, offer an, we don't always offer prayers for discernment for one's everyday walking around life. We don't always pray for one another to be pure, for us to live with unmixed motives. For a long time, I have lovingly shoved things that I wanted to keep, pictures that kids drew for me, notes from friends, random ticket stubs from adventures. I have shoved them all very lovingly into a large trunk. I decided this week to go through it and try to bring some order to it all. And as I went through the notes in particular, they were full of warm words of gospel friendship and brought me back to dorm rooms and coffee shops and fun times with coworkers. But they also brought me to a conflicted present. Some words of deep and sincere faith on a card bear the signature of someone who now thinks faith is a farce. Some words meant to encourage me as a younger sister in the faith were written by someone who is now in prison. I wondered if anyone kept the notes I wrote and I prayed they weren't too cringy-worthy or presumptuous. Presumption and pain are things we want to avoid. And the desires of gospel friendship, these kinds of strong prayers, make us feel vulnerable to both. If our present circumstances often keep the delight of friendship at bay, it is our past hurts that often keep the desires of friendship. This kind of prayer Paul prays at a distance. Prayer is 
transformative. We believe prayer not only reflects our beliefs, but has the power to shape our beliefs. And that includes our prayers for our friends. If we spend a lifetime only praying away the bad for our friends, what might we miss out on? Or put another way, what might we gain praying Paul's prayer here for our friends, for one another in this community? This is a prayer that is tenaciously for the other. The fire of such a prayer reminds me of the fire in God's voice that we hear from our Jeremiah passage today. I will never stop doing good to them. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul, says the Lord. Praying this prayer offers us an opportunity to connect with the tenacious good of God for our friends. We also stand to gain it actually happening. What if we, friends at Church of the Cross, become an unusually discerning people? What if we become a people whose love doesn't just make it passably to the end of life, but whose love grows, overflows, abounds? What if we do end up living lives of pure motives, of actions that bless and do not curse, such that we stand together in joy on that day of Christ's return to the glory and praise of God? In the cups on each row, you'll find unremarkable printed copies of this prayer. I encourage you to take one. Put it on your fridge, your desk, wherever you will see it. Let it remind you to pray for a couple of friends in this community. Maybe one person you want to pray for is someone that you would naturally pray for. And when you pray this prayer, it will give you a renewed fullness in your intercession for them. Maybe another is someone you don't know very well. Or maybe you know them and realize you need to cultivate your delight in them. Friends, this is the Lord's Prayer is both a specific prayer and a specific word given to his disciples. And it is also instructive in our prayers today. This prayer of Paul is both specific to the Philippians and instructive for us here in this room and online. I invite us to let this prayer have its way in our friendships. Gospel friendship desires tenaciously the expansive and encompassing good of God for the other, reflected in our prayers. We are presently in the liturgical season of Easter, where Lent was 40 days of fasting. Easter is 50 days of feasting. Feasting has its own disciplines and rhythms, but this Eastertide, I want to invite us to take up the celebratory practice of friendship. In his book, Called to be Saints, Gordon Smith writes, friendship transcends time and space in this sense. The relationship between parent and child, employer and employee, teacher and student, pastor and parishioner, even wife and husband, is only for a season, inherently 
temporary. But in friendship, we live with a foretaste of the kingdom that is yet to come. It is a means of participation in the joy of God. This joyous Easter, may we reflect upon and live into the affection of Christ Jesus, our friend. And may we reflect and live into God's tenacious desire to be good to us. May God's Spirit cultivate our delight in and prayers for one another to the glory and praise of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.